Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. Um, we're going to be in Acts 20, so if you want to open up there. And we're reading um, verses 1 through to 16 today. And it's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Um, so Acts 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened, unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day, um, and the day after that, we went on to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, you say yes to, to reading the Bible and then you find out there's a passage like that. Well done, Katie, on some of those names. Hey, let's pray. Uh, Father, would you encourage us by your word today? Um, even in this passage, we see a reminder to stay awake. Help us to stay awake and concentrate. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would help me to be faithful um, in preaching um, and engaging. Uh, we pray that you would stir and move our hearts this morning by your word, by your spirit working in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did a survey among some of the younger generation at the church office, and apparently everyone knows who Bill Gates is. Um, so Bill Gates, uh, founder of Microsoft, um, talk to me afterwards if you, if you don't know who he is. I thought he was like the most famous guy in the world. Um, in the 70s, he's sort of famous for realising sort of in front of lots of other people that um, into the future there would be a computer, as he said, in every household, in every home. And he also said, and we want Microsoft running on each of those computers in each of those homes. I looked it up, uh, there's 2.3 billion homes in the world apparently and 1.4 billion use Microsoft. So it's not, not bad, he's done pretty well. 
But do you know that in the first five years of Microsoft's existence, Bill Gates himself either wrote or reviewed every single line of code in their operating system? It makes you think, would Microsoft be where it is today in, in most households in the world if Bill Gates continued to do that? Arguably, the code might work a bit better, um, but uh, it wouldn't have been able to, to spread as it has. Um, he had to move from sort of writing the code himself to equipping and encouraging and envisioning others to, to doing that work. Where's this linking with, with Missions Month? Uh, well, I would say that Jesus has a, a far more wonderful goal, and that is that the good news of him would be in every heart, uh, that, that everyone would know the good news that Jesus has conquered sin and death and has, has risen from the dead. Uh, he enabled that uh, by doing the work um, of, of winning our salvation on the cross. Uh, but he, he knew that that good news needed to be spread and he actually encouraged and equipped his own disciples to go to the ends of the earth and to be his witnesses. But could Paul, um, who joined the apostles and the others, do it by themselves? Well, no. Just as Jesus had encouraged and equipped them for the, the work of the ministry, they needed to encourage and equip and envision others to do the work of the ministry. Right now in the passage that we're up to in Acts, we've been travelling through with Paul for a number of chapters now, but in a sense there's a little bit of a transition in his ministry going on here. Because you see as we look at this passage, he, he goes from what he's been doing primarily, which is evangelism and going into new areas and, and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Whereas now he's sort of transitioning to, to more doing encouragement and building up established churches. It's a little bit like Bill Gates. He's going from writing the code to sort of organising and envisioning others to do the work. In other words, Paul is mobilising disciple makers. Now, this is really helpful for us because Mission Month, we get reminded of, of God's great plan to, to be reaching the nations. Uh, but, but here in this passage, we get it sort of look under the hood of, of how Jesus has instructed and shown us to do this. And that's by doing the work of the ministry, but also by encouraging and equipping others to be disciples of, of Jesus and to also do the work of the ministry. Okay, so how do, how do we get all that from, from the passage? What we're going to do as we go through the passage today is we're going to look where this passage sort of describes what I'd say is a journey of encouragement on a number of the existing churches. But there's a couple of interruptions in our text. The first one is that list of names of people travelling with Paul. And, and the second interruption is Eutychus, this sleepy young man. So we're going to go through this, this journey of encouragement. We're going to see that actually those interruptions give us some, some really important and helpful clues into how Paul was actually going about the work of this sort of encouragement ministry. So let's start with the, the journey that he's on. Uh, just for a bit of context, uh, for a number of chapters in Acts now, Paul has been travelling around. I'll just throw up a slide of, of his first journey. Hopefully you can see that. Oh, you can see that really well now. Um, the, the blue line is sort of the outward journey and then he comes back on the, the red path. You can see that that journey sort of he starts out from north of Israel and he goes um, sort of mainly through the area of Galatia and, and Cyprus. Okay, so that was his first journey in Acts 13 and 14. Now in his second journey... He sort of retraces his steps through Galatia 
And then he gets to the point where he's about to go into Asia, but remember he gets that vision from the Macedonian calling him over there. So he sort of skips Asia and goes through Macedonia. So that's the, if you're familiar with the Bible, Thessalonians, Philippians sort of area, comes down to Greece, to Corinth and whatnot. And then he sails back. He just pulls into Ephesus just briefly and realises actually there could be something great going on here and decides he's going to come back. But he finishes his journey back in Antioch. So that's the second journey. That's Acts 15 to 18. But right now we're on the third journey. So he's again set off from Antioch and he's travelled back encouraging the churches. He gets to Ephesus. He spent two to three years in Ephesus. They're the parts of the Bible that we've just been through. And now, our chapter now is describing his, his journey here. Um, so, for instance, in, in verse 1, after encouraging them, uh, said farewell, departed from Macedonia. When they'd gone through these regions, giving them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So he's down the bottom of the, the green area here. Um, notice there, in both those verses, it uses the word encouragement. This is a journey of encouragement. He's, he's building up, encouraging and strengthening the, the existing churches. In verse 3 it says he spent three months there and a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. So he's about to set sail back to Syria, but there's a plot. So he ends up retracing his steps, which is really cool. God's actually used him to then sort of re-encourage those same churches. Uh, then in verse 5 we see they, they go to, to Traos, and that's then when the interruption with Eutychus happens. And then those final verses describe sort of his, his journey back past Ephesus and we're going to see next week Sam Miller's preaching on sort of a third interruption in this journey that happens as he addresses the elders the church at Ephesus okay so there's that, that describes the the journey um, but but what I'm, I'm going to say is that as we look into these interruptions we're going to see uh, that Paul here is doing the work of ministry of equipping and enabling others so in other words, in, on this journey, he's sort of living out his philosophy of ministry, which he says a number of times in his letters. So you can see that in, in Ephesians 4.2, uh, he talks about God raising up people to equip the saints, uh, that's, that's all of us, uh, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So it's not just Paul and, and sort of the apostles that are to do the work of the ministry. Actually, no, they're equipping and encouraging the saints, all the saints, to be loving one another, to sharing the gospel, to be living it out. Right, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, this is obviously 2 Timothy. Uh, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What I love about that passage is it shows sort of Paul's philosophy of ministry. He's, he's, he's shown Timothy, he's now calling Timothy to um, entrust to faithful men who are going to be able to teach others also right notice that equipping and encouraging and passing on um, not just the the message uh, but but actually this sort of philosophy of of ministry of equipping and encouraging others okay so this brings us then to our first interruption in the description of the journey and it's the the list of companions now <laughs> i think many of us we as we're reading through our bible we get to a list of names and we sort of just gloss over it uh it's pretty regular for us to do that we sort of want to get back to the interesting stuff we probably don't recognize many of these names at all but i just want to actually show you pull a few things apart so throw the the verse up on the the board um there's just a few things to, to pull apart in this verse the first thing is that paul here has been accompanied on this journey 
by people from a number of different regions. So from Berean um, and the, the from Berea and Thessalonica, that's the area that I showed before, Macedonia. So that's where he largely went in his second journey. Um, he describes there the Asians, so that's from probably Ephesus and, and that region of sort of modern-day Turkey. And so that's Tychus and uh, Trophimus. And then Timothy and Gaius, they both come from Galatia, which is where he went on his first mission trip. And so there's people from all different areas traveling with him. Now, another really interesting thing, I found this interesting, um, we, we can actually learn a lot about people's backgrounds in, in this time based on their names, uh, because their names sort of represented often who they were. Now, the two guys, oh, if you go back to the other slide, please. Um, the two guys from Thessal um, Thessalonians, so Aristarchus and Secondus. Now, Aristarchus, what does that sound like to you? Aristocrat. Okay? Um, that's where we get the word aristocrat from. So he was like super high up in society, important, come, come from sort of a high-ranking family, that sort of thing. Secondus. Okay, that sounds like second. Now, if you know your Star Wars, um, you would know that in Force Awakens, um, there's a stormtrooper who decides to, to move to the good side. And, and Poe asks him, what, what's, what's your name? And he says... FN2187 or something. He doesn't have a name, he just has a number. Okay, Secondus is just a number. Right? It's what they used to do with, with slaves. They would call them first, second, third, whatnot. Now, isn't it amazing? So it's, a, it's almost certainly a slave and an aristocrat. And they are traveling together. There's no barriers there um, because the gospel has broken down the barriers. Uh, they're, they're both being equipped um, and encouraged in doing the work of the ministry together. just think it's a great example there, a little one that we can pick up of, of how the gospel changes things. And now the other thing I want to show from, from this passage is if you actually sort of stopped and, and looked at these names, and Beck Klusky has actually gone through the, the Bible and seen the other places where these, are, these guys are all mentioned in the scriptures. Just going to put up that slide there. I won't go through them all. But if you look through this, God goes on to use these different people in so many different ways in ministering to different churches and doing different things. Secondus is, is used at one point to, to, to take a whole gift of money from Macedonia to the church in Jerusalem. There's just all these cool little things about how God uses these people. But the, the point I think being made is these, they're going on this journey with Paul and during this time, they are seeing him encouraging the churches and they're experiencing and being equipped by Paul in how to do that themselves. It's a really cool model of ministry. And actually, I think it's the model of ministry that Jesus himself has given his church. Didn't he say to the disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? They followed him. And then at the end of the ministry, he said, now go make disciples of all nations. They knew what to do and how to do that because Jesus had intentionally done that with them. We're seeing the example here in Paul's ministry, spending time intentionally with people, building them up so that they too would be able to do the work of ministry. Now we have, a, as a church, we actually have a value of our church around justice. So I'm going to put the, the value on the screen so that you can see and be reminded of it. 
but we value a, what we call a life-on-life life ministry model. What we're saying is we see in scriptures sort of a model actually of how we're to do ministry together and how we're to be equipped um, and encouraged in, in this great task of, of sharing the gospel. It says the gospel moves us to serve as representatives of Jesus Christ. Sorry, of Christ. Jesus left for us a model of ministry for the extension of his kingdom. The model is multiplying in purpose and personal, intentional and equipping in nature. We desire our church to be characterised by a commitment to life-on-life discipleship. As, as a church, we want to be doing this. Now, it's, it's probably different to 2,000 years ago, traipsing around different parts of the Mediterranean and so forth. I'd actually really love to traipse around different parts of the Mediterranean. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but, but as we're living our lives and as we're, we're doing our lives, we want to actually do that together in a life-on-life way. Now, as a church, we do that We've sort of organised to do that in certain ways. So we do something which we call discipleship groups. They're D groups. They're intentional, smaller groups where we're sort of committing to do this with one another. If you haven't been in a D group, you haven't heard about those, please talk to me about it. Go on the website or the app and and you can find out more information and even just show your interest in possibly being part of one of those groups. They're going to be so, so helpful in terms of helping equip and encouraging you in following Jesus. And, and hopefully, so that you might be able to do that with others. Um, we, we try and do this sort of model of ministry in our ministry teams. The reason we're in teams is because we want to be doing the work of ministry together and team leaders are encouraging and equipping us in this. There's all sorts of organised ways that we do this and I'd encourage you to be putting yourself in those teams so that you can be encouraged and equipped. But we also want to do it organically. Okay, Organically be in each other's lives. Now, I've, I've sort of spoken through this a little bit before. I'm actually super encouraged the last few weeks that just more and more people have sort of been back regularly at church. But I think this COVID period has, you know, we've been sort of staying apart to, to save lives in a sense. Um, but that separateness has really been costly, I think, in terms of us doing this life-on-life ministry and really being in one another's lives. Uh, and as... As life sort of fills up and gets busy again, can I put a call out and a really strong plea uh, that you really think about how, how you can organically be spending time and doing life with different people in our church family, particularly those that might come from different demographic from yourself. Um, there's, there's just a need and also an opportunity we have uh, for... For young adults to, to be able to experience what it is family dinner time, <laughs> um, for for our younger kids to, to be uh, sort of equipped and see what, what it is for 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 an adult that, that's single living their life and and walking for for Christ in that. There's just so many different ways we need to be encouraged by one another, and we actually need to have time in our lives to do that. Okay. A great place to start if you're looking to, to do that. Sign up for a mission lunch. Still heaps of spots. They will be great the next few weeks. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay, I've gone on about that, but it's, it's actually really important. The model for ministry, this interruption uh, of different names actually shows us how Paul is doing ministry here. I want to look at the second interruption, the interruption of Eutychus, a sleepy young man. Now, this is a favourite for preachers. Can I just say, and I've been sort of looking out, 
Anyone fallen asleep there? Um, I don't know, you probably heard the line, you know, stay awake in the sermon because I'm no Paul. I'm not going to be able to bring you back to life if you fall asleep. Uh, all that sort of thing. So it's a favourite of preachers because it's like, ah, this is the passage. You've got to stay awake and listen. But in recent years, it's the, the sort of finger has been pointed back at preachers over this passage. So recently, a couple of years ago, in, in Brisbane, this book came out called Saving Eutychus. It's a book on preaching. And just read this from the book. It says, What took Paul many hours of preaching to achieve? Near fatal napping in one of his listeners takes most preachers only a few minutes on a Sunday. Oh, ouch. So now the preacher's favourite passage has been turned against us. Oh, I tell you what. But I, I want to I actually affirm both of those things. Like, can, I, <laughs> can I affirm staying awake and listening and engaging with God's word? Um, I think that is a, a vital thing, super important. I want to affirm uh, for preachers, we want to we try and be engaging. <laughs> we don't try to put people to sleep. Um, both those things are, are important. Uh, listening actively and preaching in such a way that's, that's designed to try and engage. It's God's word. We want to engage and stir up people's hearts. But I'm not sure if either one of those is actually the point of this passage. So let's, let's go through and have a look at it closely. Uh, firstly, in verse 7, uh, we'll see what actually happens. In verse 7, we're told on the first day of the week um, when we were gathered together. So, so Luke's there with them, uh, who's the author of this, gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, a couple of things to notice there. Firstly, it's the first day of the week. That's a Sunday. Now, in that culture, that was a work day. So one simple thing to note is Eutychus had been working all day, right? They gathered together to break bread. We know from further on they hadn't yet had the meal. Uh, and Paul, it's his last chance to talk to them. He's intending to part. So he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay. The word in there, he's speaking for a long time, Paul, here. Okay, verse 8, there are many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. I think that's there purely to say it's sort of smoky and warm and very sort of sleepy conditions. Right? We were out there praying before church and in the sun and with their eyes closed, it was, it was sleepy out there. I don't know what it feels like. We all do, I think. Um, verse 9, a young man named Eutychus, so introduced to Eutychus, sitting at the window, okay, if you're going to fall asleep, not the place, uh, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. It's emphasising Paul was, has kept going there uh, more than he usually would and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third storey and was taken up dead. Uh, it, it's clear that, that Eutychus is dead here. Paul, oh sorry, Luke who's writing this and, and who's present there, he's actually a physician. We know he's a physician. So if anyone's able to sort of pronounce someone is dead it's it's luke the author of of this and a witness of this so so you has died now if we stop there then i think the conclusions we would come to is well either Eutychus really should have stayed awake or paul should have been more engaging and probably kept his sermon a little shorter right but well, let's read what happens next let's see paul's reaction there in verse 10 paul went down bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. 
Okay. Now, Paul is very calm in this situation. And saying his life is in him is a pretty understated way of, of a, a resurrection miracle. It actually reminds us of a couple of times. This is the 10th and, and last sort of resurrection miracle in, in, in the Bible. Obviously, the, the highlight being uh, when Jesus himself comes back to life from the dead. Uh, but it, it reminds us of some of the miracles that Jesus did. They're sort of understated. Like when Jairus' daughter is there, he, he just sort of goes in and he's like, you know, she, she's, not, she's just sleeping. Um, or the, the widow's son at Nain, and he, he just sort of takes, his, takes the guy's hand and gives him back to his, his mother. They're sort of understated, and, and that's true here. And then Paul, just amazingly, goes on in verse 11, when Paul had gone up, He'd broken bread and eaten. So this is resurrection miracle. And Paul just goes, oh, it's time for us to have dinner now. Um, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. So he just kept going for like another six hours conversing with them after this resurrection miracle. Did this resurrection miracle happen? Did Paul raise his Eutychus from the dead just so that it wouldn't interrupt his sermon? On face value, it would seem like that. Um, and there's a sense where that, that's sort of right. Like Paul's instructions are life-giving, life-saving. He's proclaiming the, the good news of Jesus here. right? He, I think it is emphasising the, the importance of the instructions and these final instructions that Paul is giving. But I think there's more to it. Because not only are Paul's instructions super important, this... This passage actually gives us the reason why those instructions are so important. The resurrection is the reason Paul's instructions are so important. In verse 12, it goes on to say, they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. Of course they were comforted. Someone who, who was dead was now alive again. But this passage goes deeper than that because it's showing us the whole reason for our hope, the whole reason for our faith is because Christianity has this amazing promise that there is life after death. Jesus promises his followers that you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' goal of, of reaching the nations is just not possible uh, unless the resurrection is true. There's no point to it. Paul himself in, in Corinthians, um, he's, he says this in, in verse 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Right? He's saying it's, it's all pointless. Christianity doesn't make sense unless the resurrection happened. Even in Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're in investigating Christianity, there might be any number of things that you have questions about, you know, things like Christianity's view on, on marriage or gender or sexuality, um, you know, some of the, the history of Christianity that's, that's really not great. But the key thing to look into is whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
That is the, the central thing to all Christianity. And it changes everything. Because if a man said that he was going to die and come back to life, and he did it. That tells us he has power over death. And that tells us that his word is worth listening to. Right. This, this resurrection miracle here, it's sort of understated, but it is the reason why Paul's instructions are so important. Because it, it shows and affirms uh, that Christianity is true. That there is hope of eternal life. It makes a difference for all eternity, but it makes a difference for our lives now. It gives us purpose now in the present. Because this is good news. It's good news that changes our lives. Uh, but it's good news to share that others may know. Um, when we love something, we, we share it. I, I wonder if you've, you've heard, um, heard some music and you've just gone, go share that. Maybe you've seen something funny, a funny meme or something, and you're like, hey, I'll share that with the family group or, or whatnot. We, we share things uh, that, we, that we love. Uh, and, and the gospel... The good news about Jesus should be just like that for us. Now we know it's not always going to be well received, uh, but I encourage you, this is something to be shared. This is the best news, that Jesus has risen from the dead and he has promised for all those who will trust in him would be with him in paradise. So in this passage, on one level, it's a, it's a journey. That, that Paul's on. But when we have a look deeper and see these interruptions into the text, we see it gives us an amazing sort of insight into the way that Paul did ministry, encouraging us to be in each other's lives, to be encouraging one another, to be seeking to equip each other for the work of the ministry. And this interruption of, of Eutychus falling asleep actually shows us um, that listening to Paul's instructions, to Jesus' instructions in the Bible is so vital and so wonderful. Now, I just want to admit that this sermon was written using a Windows computer, uh, using Microsoft Office, even though I, it frustrates me a lot. Um, now, I don't know that my life would be actually that different if Microsoft didn't exist. You know, be using Linux or something. It might even be better. Um, you know, I'm not, not sure. I, I don't know. How, how different would your life be, would the world be, if Microsoft didn't exist? But I'll tell you what. My life in eternity, and I would say yours, is very, very different because of Jesus and if he really has risen from the dead, that changes everything. Everything in this life now and everything for all of eternity. And it makes a difference for, for how we want to go about living this life, for following his instructions, for living his ways. Um, but it, it gives us hope that in all eternity we'll be with him. And that is news. That this mission month, want to remind us again that this is news that we want to share because it's good news. So let me finish by asking you a question. Does the resurrection of Jesus, does it make a difference to your life? Could it make a difference? Should it make a difference? 
going to leave you to think about that for about a minute or so and then I'm going to pray. Father God, we give you thanks, we praise you uh, that you've loved us, that you sent your son to, to lay down his life, to die for our sins, to take the punishment that we deserved, um, but you've shown us love and hope in raising him again to new life. The resurrection, Father, gives us hope, gives us confidence um, that. He has had victory over sin and death. Uh, Father, uh, I pray that we would know this and that we would live in light of this. Would it change how we view our life now? Uh, and would it give us hope and sure hope for all eternity? Father, I particularly pray for, for any here who are considering Christianity, who are just currently unsure of whether this is true. Uh, first, I pray that you would just encourage them and maybe use others around them to, to help sort of share the good news and um, investigate whether the resurrection is, is a true event in human history or not. Uh, but I, I pray, Lord, that you would stir um, their hearts to know and to follow Jesus because this is good news that we would love to see um, every single person here, both knowing and also sharing. Would you help us to live it out in our lives, in our day-to-day? -day? Father, as, as things are hectic, as money is tight, as different pressures and anxieties come to us, pray, Lord, we would be reminded of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and just would all our other troubles be sort of minimised into non-existence in knowing that you love us and that you've shown us your love in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Just stand and let's respond in song.